that, Lord, we want to be a people who live according to your word. And we know, Lord, we're still going to fall short because we're not perfect. We are still struggling to understand. We are still struggling to make sense. We are still struggling, Lord, to choose what is true and what is false. But, oh God, would you give us an ear to hear your spirit? Would you give us, oh God, a desire to want to know truth and to live out truth that you might be glorified? May it be true what your word says. Let God be true and every man a liar. May we always come back to your word as the foundational truth that we can build our foundation on and we can trust in. Help us, Lord, to discern your word. May your Holy Spirit speak to us. May he somehow impress upon us what truth really is. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. One who Jesus went before asked Jesus this question, what is truth? What is truth? And Society is still looking for that. We all want to know what is true. Is Hinduism true? And it's hard for us to accept. If Hinduism is not true, the millions and millions of people who are going to be lost because it's not true. Is Buddhism true? If it's not true, the millions and millions of people who are going to be lost, even though they believe in something, they're still lost. Is that true? If Christianity is not true, Paul says we are men most miserable because we're still in our lost state and not saved nor going to heaven. If Christianity be not true. So all these groups, Islam, everybody is struggling with this area of what is truth. And the question has to boil down, how is it that man discovers truth? Man cannot make up truth Man can only accept truth. He cannot make it up. He cannot make up his own rules in life and want to follow his own rules. Those rules have to come from somewhere, from someone else higher than he is. Has more intellect than he does. Is wiser than he is. And the question really comes, where do we learn from. When one man stands and says, this is what I believe, and another man stands and says, this is what I believe, and they are opposite of one another and oppose one another, does that mean we have to go to war with each other? No. That means now we have to engage in what is called arguments or debates. The Nicene creeds of Christianity were arguments. And also some were concluded arguments. So Jehovah Witness sometimes will bring up the Nicene creeds and say it was at this Nicene creed that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God and that he was declared to be God. No, 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 no. Problem with that is this. The Nicene Council only agreed with what Scripture already declared. They didn't make something up. They were in agreement with what Scripture has already declared as truth. Now, I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
And in, in doing this, I want you to ask this question. Where do you receive most of your information? Where do you get most of your information from? I don't only read books about Christianity. I read books that are also against Christianity. Why? I want to know how other people think, how other people see it. I want to know their arguments. I want to know their perspective. I want to read different camps of Christianity. So I read about Methodist, Holiness, Baptist, CMA, Assembly of God. You want to read. Then you want to dig into history. God is the God of history, and believe this, there would be no history if there was not God. God is the God of history. So even in Scripture, you see Jesus using history. History of what? The history of the Old Testament. You see Paul using the history of what? The Old Testament. To prove what? His facts. To prove what he's presenting. To bring forth his statement. And to establish it. Something about truth is this. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. What was true yesterday... It's true today. Give you an example. Stop breathing for a moment or two. See what happens. And guess what? That's been true ever since man was created. And Second Corinthians in verse chapter four, when you look at that verse thirteen, look what it says. And look at the instructions that is given us. It is written. Just about everything we learn comes from what? From what someone has what? Already written. Whether it be positive or negative, we read it. Whether we read on the issue of eternal salvation or if we read on the issue that you can lose your salvation once you say that you are saved. Whether we read Calvinism or Arminianism, whichever one we read, we somewhat formulate. And we're thinking it through. And then we're praying, Lord, which is it? Which is it? Because it takes the Holy Spirit to convict. But he says, it is written. So we know at this time, they yet had books. Rather, what they mainly had at that time was Old Testament books. And Paul's saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And what is written usually will show a truth, a truism in a historical time period. And that's what you're looking for. Does this truth continue is it true? The truth of God never ends. It continues from the very beginning of man to the very end of man. It continues. He says, it is written. Now look what he says, what follows that. He goes to that point. I believe therefore. I believe why? I believe because it's written. I believe because I've studied it. I believe because I've searched it out. I believe not just because somebody says it. But I believe because I've done my homework. That's why scripture says to study show yourself approved. Not that you're approved by Pastor Brown. Not that you're approved by somebody else or somebody else. You stand approved by God. If you've done your homework, you've done your studying. And he says, I believe because I have searched it out. I believe because I've studied it. I believe because I've read it. You know why a lot of Christians don't say anything about Jesus? Because they know they're ignorant about the Bible. <laughs> and when you're ignorant about something, 
you'll basically either shut up or you'll make this comment. Well, I believe or my opinion is, and everybody got a what? An opinion. And you have to respect people's opinion or their statement of what they believe. But what you listen for is this. Remember that little rule in math? If one area is wrong, the answer is what? Wrong. If one part of the equation is wrong, the answer is wrong. That is true in a statement. And what you say in your statement, if there's a weak area in that statement, that's what we're looking for. Because that begins the area of attack. Either your statement is totally founded and proven and factual and true, but if it's only half truth or partially true, then we want to tear it apart. Where does that somewhat, where do we see that at? In debates? In debates? Because debates make people do what? Think. Think of what they're going to say, how they're going to formulate it. And in that debate, you want to bring in all those facts of why your statement is true to support your statement. You want to bring it in. And in that area, if one area is wrong, then your conclusion is most likely wrong. And that's what we want to hone in on. He says, I believe. Why do I believe? Because it's written, I've studied my facts, I got all my facts together, and now I believe. And because I believe, he takes that third step. Now I speak. Never speak out of ignorance. Never speak without being able to put your evidence on the table. Never speak without being able to go back to some type of substance and says, this is why. Because at that point, it is not just your opinion, it's not just your thinking, it is a historical fact that has been proven over and over and over and over again. He said, it is written, therefore I believe, and because I believe, I speak. But his speaking starts because he has read what was written. How many of you are really reading what is written? And if you're not reading what is written in the word of God, the Holy Spirit can never really convict you of truth. And I want you to understand that point. He's going to deal with you in three areas. The sin area, what you believe about Jesus Christ, and then in righteousness area. Why? Because in our own eyesight, all of us see ourselves what? Right. Boy, whenever we get it in with each other, what makes your righteousness more righteous than my righteousness? And we stand and we battle about what we think or seem to be right. And the scripture points out what is right. And that's the part where we struggle at today. Accepting what is right. And the only one who can convict us on that is the Holy Spirit. So the question has to come. Does the Holy Spirit work in the lives of all people? Yes, he does. 
But there is also a point in time, and Melvin alluded to it today, even in here, that the Holy Spirit cuts you loose. Why? Because you are so determined to disobey God and not accept truth. And you're going to live it out your way. And you're going to do, as many people say, do the best I can. Nowhere in Scripture do you find where God says, do the best you can. Because he knows we can always do what? Better if we obey him. If we obey him. Go to Romans 12. Romans 1 and verse 24. Very quickly, we're going to look at three people. Oh, three characteristics that God says, I'm no longer going to work with you. You're on your own now. You don't want to listen. You don't want to hear. It's not that you don't know. How many of you know someone who have said, I love my child. I just can't deal with him anymore. I love my child, but I just can't deal with him anymore. God never stops loving us. But God also knows, because he is God, a sovereign God, all things, that all of us are not going to accept him. All of us are not going to live by his rules. That doesn't stop him from loving us. Now hear this, and hear it well. God loves those who are against him and who will go to hell. He still loves them. He doesn't stop loving them. He loved them enough to allow them to have their own way. Not to live with him for eternity. So in Romans 1 and verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurities for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth. They did what? They exchanged the truth. It's not that they didn't know truth. Have you ever heard a person say, I should have listened? But they're saying that somebody shared what with them? The truth. But they chose not to what? Not to listen. And the issue is, daily, we choose to either listen to God, the Holy Spirit, to his word, or we don't. And oftentimes we are suffering in life because we're doing life our way, not his way. And he says, at some point, you're so determined to do life your way, I let you go, you go at it. Why? You only got a short life. What is your life compared to eternity? And God says, I've already have tried to convince you a truth. Now here comes this free will. I always taught my children this. As long as you're in this house, you'll do what this says. As long as you're in this house. I don't never want to hear you tell your mom no, and you don't never say no to me. Now, when you get in your house, do your thing. Sometimes when I go visit my son, I have fun. I go through the house just turn all the lights on. <laughs> just turn them lights off. When he come, turn them lights off. There's an electrical bill called come behind them lights. And I just enjoy going through the house, cutting on lights and leaving them on. And it, Dad. <laughs> but sometimes we only learn when we go through what? The experience. The teaching and sharing truth hopefully allows you not to have to go through the experience 
that will hurt you and destroy you and knock you down. Truth always lifts you up. It always gives you hope and encouragement. It's not what people say to you sometimes, because sometimes people, even when you're wrong, will tell you, you're okay, you just keep working. No, you're wrong. And sometimes we need to have the junction with our children to just say to them, you're wrong. And then we need to also be able, as adults, say to our children, I missed it on this one. I was wrong. Thank you. Now, he says, because you will not receive the truth, and you rather believe a lie, I will no longer work with you. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurities for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And you always have to put something else in the place of what God is telling you to do for you not to do it and then justify it and you can say, this is how I'm going to do it. God says sex is only honorable in the marriage bed. We come up with the excuses. Well, he says he loved me. I love him. One thing about love, if it loves you, it highly respects you. And we're missing that. When somebody says they love you, they respect you. And we're missing that part. Because, see, when you respect somebody, you don't force them what? to do something that is against their conscience or to do something that is improper. And he said, you would not accept the truth. So when you don't accept truth, watch this now. You have to put something else in its place called a lie. And the scripture says Satan is the father of lies. So who's lying to you in thought? Satan. To challenge what? What God's word says. And that we have to be very, very careful with that. Now, go over First Timothy. Another area. When you look at the characteristics of this, the Holy Spirit stops working. I want to point out why. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And we have to understand, we have this area in our mind where we say, God loves all of us. God's just going to keep working on us. God's going to do this. Get in this scripture and see where God cuts off. See where God stops. First Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 3. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith What do they do? They abandon truth. Now, I want to suggest to you, this is more than just the church. Because in the church, there are a lot of carnal Christians, there's a lot of nominal Christians who use the word Christian and saved and this and that, but really are not saved. It's one of the ways of defending yourself. Okay, I'm already saved. You don't need to talk to me about that stuff. And you back people off. And the process is, he says, there's going to be a falling away. Our society is falling away from who? From Jesus. Our society 
is falling away from the Word of God, the Bible, or having it even read or spoken of in certain areas. So we are, in a sense, drifting or falling away from truth or the one who would give us truth. And he says, we'll abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Now, what does he mean by saying follow deceiving spirits? Something else is speaking to your mind other than scripture. Something else is talking to you. When you go to Akron General and you hit that mental health, every one of them hear voices or someone else talking to them. Now, the reality of that is this. We all do. We all have what we call thoughts. Did you originate that thought? Where did that thought come from? When you feel like, where did that thought come from? And the Lord says, a kind word turns away wrath. So which one is better to use, a kind word or this? See, It's surprised to me that men haven't figured that out. If you use this, you're going to jail. See, Barbara loved Roger, but you let Roger hit Barbara, Roger going to jail. I won't tell you the, other, the rest of it, but, but, but the whole process... Our ways are not his ways, and our ways always lead us into trouble. Isaiah 55 says, our ways are not his ways. But when you follow your ways, and you lean only on your understanding without first checking it through the scriptures, and praying, and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to your conscience, and to your mind, you're heading for trouble. Because you don't have truth. You don't have the total picture. You don't have the full understanding. And yet you're trying to make a decision on half-truths. And then whenever you make a decision, without everything being on the table, you're heading for trouble. And he simply says, deceiving spirits, that there are demons out here, there are spirits out here, that are going to speak into your mind things that are not true. And they'll go against the word of God. And he says, things taught by demons. How do you teach somebody unless you are what? Verbally communicating, showing them, and somebody may say, that's a bunch of hogwash there. It's in the scriptures. Taught by demons. Now, let me ask you something. Every one of our behaviors, even the way you eat, was it taught to you? Was, were you taught what a spoon was for? Were you taught what a fork was for? Have you ever seen a person pick up peas on a knife? Everything we do is taught. It's taught. Now the question is this. Who taught you? The worst thing for children, guess the number one person who they will not believe. It's called parents. And somehow children will grow up and believe parents until they get to a certain age. And then they think parents are trying to keep them from enjoying what? Life. And they'll believe their friend who has never fed them, clothed them, gave them a place that's warm and comfortable, Celebrated their birthdays, really, and planned it for them. And somehow, Satan's able to get in there, and he brings our children to a place that they rebel against who? Against us. 
And the question is, where does that come from? Demons are teaching throughout our society. Demons are teaching. And we need to understand that. That is the second characteristic or people who Satan will somehow get such a hook into and that people believing that the Holy Spirit says no more. Why? The scripture says you have chosen to believe a lie. You have chosen to believe a lie. Now that third characteristic, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 9. And boy, time is flying on me. And uh, nobody changed that clock up there. So I got some time left here. <laughs> so in 2 Timothy 3, it says, But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. And one of the spiritual gifts, when you look at it, is self-control. Do we see a world right now out of control? Are we seeing people out of control? Are we seeing people being abusive? Are we seeing people who are ungrateful? And, and it seems like it's growing, isn't it? You know? And he says, Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of who? Now, mark it right there. Save us a little time. When you don't have a heart for God, or an interest to know about God, or love for God, you need to understand the Holy Spirit is saying, no more. No more. No more. Because you really don't love God. You love everything around you that God created, but you don't love the creator. And that becomes the issue. That you love the one who created and gave you all that you have. And the Holy Spirit will not work with that person once it's identified. That person will never be in love with Jesus. The work stops. And God knows when that happens. Now, the word convict is used differently depending on what translation you use. In the King James, it's reprove. In the Revised Standard Version, it's convinced. In the New English Bible, it's confute. In the CEB Bible, boy, the common English Bible, it just uses this little phrase, show the world it was wrong. So the Holy Spirit's job, in a sense, in convicting us, is to show us we're wrong. We're wrong. We're wrong. God's word is to show us we're wrong. We're wrong. That means I have to become a student of this. Now, how many of you want to go into court and your lawyer has never picked up a law book? Your lawyer don't know the first rule of law or anything about law. But yet he's going to defend you? See... The Holy Spirit is like your lawyer in this big courtroom, the world. And he's going to defend you and he's going to tell you what's right. One of the first jobs of a lawyer is to tell you what the law says and what the penalties might be if we don't win our case. 
He makes you aware of that. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Because one of the things he's going to convict us on is judgment. He makes us aware of what it means to disobey God and the punishment that may follow. He makes us aware of what righteousness is. Because every person sees themselves righteous in their own sight, in their own ways, in their own doing. It's right. He makes us aware of sin. And one of the worst things you can say to a person, you're a sinner. Because people are trying to figure out, what are you talking about? Because in our mind, we have our own concept of sin. Now, isn't it something? You can go down the street and steal something from somebody else. And consciously, for you, it's all right because you have reason. They have too many of them. They have too much. Uh, 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 they're on easy street, and you got a rough life. So you can steal from them, and it don't bother you much. But you let somebody steal from you, and you bring down the wrath of hell on them. You want the worst things to happen to them. That's that conviction that is taking place in the mind, except that you have not learned how to do what? Bring it home to who? To me. Now, the word means to prove a person wrong. It is to prove a person's statement or view is in error or false. The purpose of conviction is to make one's argument useless. It's to break that argument down where that argument, they can see it, is useless. It has no facts, no real bearing, no historical value. It is not found really anywhere. It's just an opinion. And that argument will not stand. And conviction, the Holy Spirit, and this is what happens. How many of their times have you spent sleepless nights? How many of you have had sleepless nights wrestling with something? Can you count the thoughts that go through your mind? I want to suggest to you something. Somewhere in that, the Holy Spirit is also trying to speak. Now, understand this principle. The Holy Spirit does not mind you, and that's why God gave us this, this mind, this brain. You are to form the best argument you can form to put against the Holy Spirit and watch the Word of God break it down. Because he'll do it. He'll do it. But in those thoughts that's running through your mind, somewhere the Holy Spirit is speaking also, and somehow you got to be able to determine. And one of the ways of determining it is knowing the Word of God. And he wants you to use your brain. He wants you to use your mind. When you become a Christian, you don't turn it off. You really turn it on. And you start searching the word, proving the word, challenging the word, going into other areas. The getter, I read the getter with the Bible. Why? I have some Indian friends. I want to know what the getter says. I took some Indian friends that Faith and I went out to visit. I didn't tell them until we got ready to leave. <laughs> and we debated some, some tough issues at times. <laughs> and I told Haman and Hema, Hamali, I call her Hemali, her name's Hamali. I said, you know, I put you guys in a test tube. And I wanted to 
proved some things to see if they were true or not. And you guys helped me to formulate some sermons by how you answered and how you behaved. You didn't know you were doing it, but I kind of like put you in the test tube to see what it was going to be like. And basically, God just showed truth after truth after truth. The thing that you want to do sometimes is look at people. Put people in the test tube. See if they stand up to what the Word of God says. Challenge them. Sit down and really talk about them, about different philosophies, about education, about their behavior, about why they do this or why they do that. Then talk to them about how they think. And then this little scripture in Proverbs 17, as a man thinketh, what? So is he. So as you think, you develop your behaviors. As you think, you develop a behavior. So the Holy Spirit wants you to build up the best arguments you can build up. Me and another gentleman, we was talking about this abortion thing, and I think I shared a little bit of it last week. A woman's body, the, her right to her body. Well, first of all, she didn't create herself. Didn't make herself. God is the one who made this body of a woman to do what? Bring forth children. And I don't care what color, what ethnic group, what that. A woman is a woman. I don't care where you go. A man is a man. God designed that. And he designed every woman to bring forth children, if that be his desire for them. Now, from that point, is simply this here. Either I am or I am not. But you need to understand, you do not own yourself. And that child in the womb has a different DNA than you do. And most of the time, that child in the womb has a different blood type than you do. And that child is totally independent, in a sense, of you, other than that you're being an incubator for the child. But we'll argue over the issue of her right. How about the right of the child that's in the womb? Don't they have a right? Aren't they a person? And once we declare, and this is the problem, euthanasia basically takes this statement. You're retired. You've been retired over 20 years now. You're useless to society. You are no longer productive. You no longer really work anywhere. Only thing you're doing is using up resources that other people are supplying. It's time for us to eliminate Roger. That's what we're doing with the child. Because we won't say the child is a human being or a person. And the moment we stretch a person from being a human being and having a right to life, then we're ready to destroy that life. And God says, he is the giver of life. Not man. Not man. Either that is true or that is false. One or the other. Now, is that clock right now? Did somebody set it? So it's five minutes. To, all right, I got plenty of time. Let's let <laughs> want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two, four through five. First Corinthians chapter two. Because this is the question God is asking. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, Paul is speaking but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, that's where 
Christianity separates from all other religion. If you do not know the power of God to transform your life, to change your life, to change your thinking, to open doors for you and close doors for you, then you don't know him. You're doing your thing. He says the Christian life, now catch this, is a demonstration of the Holy Spirit working through your life. It's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit working through your life. Christianity is the only religion that says that there is someone that comes from without into our lives to teach us, to control us, to counsel us, to minister to us, to show us the difference between right and wrong. God doesn't leave you to yourself to decide that. He brings another person into you, the Holy Spirit, who will counsel you on righteousness, on what truth really is, and understanding. And he says again, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith, now, now catch this, your faith, that's what you are believing in. Your faith might not rest on men's wisdom. Don't ever go out here talking about what Pastor Brown said. Talk about what Scripture says to you. Talk about what the Holy Spirit said to you. Not what Pastor Brown said, because Pastor Brown doesn't mean a thing. You want to hear from the Holy Spirit. You want to hear from God. You want to hear God speaking to you. You may not hear the whole sermon. You may get stuck on one word. You may get stuck on one line. But allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you right there. And he says, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power in your life. God's power in your life. Not on the eloquence of a man's ability to speak or his intellect, but on the power of God. First Corinthians, now, over in verse 18 through 21. He simply says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The Bible never makes sense to the natural man. To the man who wants to lean on his own understanding or the person who wants to do their own thing, the Bible will never make sense because the Bible is always asking us to turn, to change, to do something different. And we're scared to do it. We're scared to trust him. We're scared to step out. Well, if this is how I've been doing it, this long. Now, understand this. It may have been working for you, but it's not God's best for you. There are a lot of things men do, that people do, that works for them. But that's not God's best for you. And until you step out and trust him, you'll never experience his best. You're only leaning on what you think is true. You're only leaning on your own understanding. You're only doing it the way that you seem right to you to do it. But the scripture says to do it another way. I want to encourage you. Believe scripture and do it and see the results of God. That's the power of God then working in your life. Now, just for time's sake, go ahead with John chapter 15 because 
we need to understand who are we arguing against. Oftentimes, we pit ourselves against each other. If we understand spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare allows us to know that there's something behind both of us. Behind the Christian is the Holy Spirit doing the battle. Behind the unbeliever is Satan and his demons doing the battle. In our life, you're not your own. The only thing you really have in life is to this. To make the decision who you're going to follow. Will you follow God or will you follow Satan? That's the only real decision in life you have to make. Talk about more of that next week, but when people are arguing with each other about Christian things or spiritual things, always remember this you're not the one in the argument if you're in prayer, also. If you are arguing as a Christian just from your intellect, stop. You're wrong. Because the scripture says, We should always be led by the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to lead you into discussions with other people. That you're just not forcing yourself on people. Always know when people will disengage and people will engage. So the other day, a friend of mine, we were at the restaurant, and I asked a young man a question. And my question was this. Hey, man, can you help me out? I'm studying on something, and I, I really am studying on it. I said, can you tell me why African-American men don't go to church? And he thought, yeah. he said, maybe because truth's not being taught. <laughs> well, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, he gave me a couple more comments. So as we were heading out, I saw another young man sitting so I asked him the same question. I said, sir, can I disturb you for a moment? It looks like you and your wife are really enjoying your meal. But can I ask you a question? Why don't African-American men go to church? He said, I do. I enjoy it. I love it. I, I'm asking myself that question. Why don't others go? And then sitting in my office, a young man from the daycare park, uh, he was coming down the steps past my office, and I said, Sir, can you step in my office for a moment? I'd like to ask you a question. And I showed him the book that I was reading and so forth. I said, can you give me a reason why African-American men don't go to church? And he says, indifferences. Indifferences, what do you mean? How they feel about the pastor. And just hearing these different comments... But I have to understand this. The argument is not with me. It's with the one who has led me to what? Ask the question. The Holy Spirit. Now, go ahead with me. John 15, verse 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Now, catch this title. The Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. You won't find any other religion with that title towards the spirit of truth the Holy Spirit alone holds that title why he is the one who's going to convict us of truth he's the one who's going to teach us of truth he's not going to lie to us he's not going to mislead us he's not going to deceive us he's not going to trick us he's going to hit us dead on with truth He wants you to know truth. And he's called the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. Now I want you to hang on to that just for a moment. That he's going to talk about who? Jesus. He's going to lead you into the truth about Jesus. And that becomes part of that problem, that that area that he's going to teach you and he's going to reprove you about sin and how you think about Jesus. Now, come on over into chapter 16 and the verse 12. There's a little difference between 
verse 26 and 15, and then 12 and 16. He said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. What is he saying? Now, Jesus has spent three years with his disciples. He's been teaching them for three years. And in three years, he could not tell them everything. And he says, there's more for you to learn. There's more for you to grasp. There's more for you to understand. And he says, I'm going to send the spirit of truth who's going to teach you. Now catch this differently. Not just about Jesus, but all things. How many of us need to know more about how to handle our finances? You know, a large sum of the Bible talks about finances. Why? God knows if you don't handle your finances right, Satan got a hold of you. He knows that. Now, the other thing. The Bible talks about being respectful to your employer. Why? Most of us, once we get the job, we think we, we, we think we're the CEO. We think we head the company, you know. But he teaches us to respect those who we work for. How many of us think we really got marriage down right? See, when I first got married, see, my concept was, okay, I go out and work all during the week, but on Friday and Saturday, it's time for me to go play. Well, we had kids. Well, that's her job. She's the mom. So Friday, Saturday night, I'm out playing. See? Problem is, what are you playing with? That becomes the problem that most men don't catch. They think they're taking a break. No, you're putting yourself in danger. One of the safest places to be, I learned, is right at home. See? Then God had to teach me a very important lesson. At that time, we're buying our home. I'm paying $133 a month for rent. And we have an argument. I go down to YMCA and get a room for $5. I'm laying up in that room all by myself watching this old black and white TV. And God had to talk to this fool. You're paying $133 a month for a house that you're not even in. You out here paying these folks $5 a night for a room. I didn't even spend the full night. I packed my little stuff up, went back home, and I told her, I'll never leave the house again. I may sleep in the other bedroom. <laughs> but I'll never leave this house again. And never left since. See, the Holy Spirit got to speak to us about marriage because we think we got marriage right because the only concept about marriage we have is what we've seen of our dads and moms and what society says. Now we got to bring it into the word of God. And God had to teach me how to treasure her. God had to teach me how to love her. God had to teach me how to respect her and to understand she really is a gift from God. We have to learn that. So the Holy Spirit is not just going to teach me about Jesus Christ. He's going to teach me about every area of life. And we all need to be taught because we come with our pre-notions and thoughts of how things should be. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach us the right way to live. That's where the conviction comes in the teaching of his word, that I live in such a way, not that I'm pleasing her, I'm pleasing him. And if I please him, I'll please her. And that makes the difference that he's going to teach. Amen? Father, we just pray that you'll continue to minister to us. Would you truly give us insight to your word? And Lord, for that one who may say, 
I read it, but I don't have understanding. Lord, would you continue to impress upon them to keep pushing on? And would you shock them one day when somehow in thought, they have a thought that they know that is not their thought? That they'll know that, Lord, you're somehow speaking with them as they're reading your word, as they're searching out your word, as they're going through your word from one book to another book and trying to grasp understanding of a subject. Lord, would you minister? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to speak? He did not take on a body like Jesus, but he is as real as Jesus. And he lives in us to convict us and to teach us and to guide us and to order our steps. He's teaching us what sin really is and teaching us that the wages of sin is death. He's teaching us the way of righteousness that we really know nothing about because your word says there is none that is righteous. No, not one. He's teaching us. Lord, would you help us to learn? Would you impress upon our lives as you teach us how much you love us by giving us your spirit to minister to us? Somehow, God, would you drown out the voice of Gus Brown and allow the spirit to minister? We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We want to know. We want to hear. We want to learn. We want to live a life that's pleasing to you. We want to live honorably before you. We want to be gold, silver, precious stone. We don't want to be the wood, hay, and stubble. We want to be, as the song says, precious in your sight. We want to be your saints. We want to be your children. We do not want to be a people who are ashamed of you, but we want to live for you. Minister to us, Lord. Minister to us. Speak to, to the people right now. Speak to their hearts. Speak to their minds. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Those who will serve, would you come, Alvin? Roswell, would you come? Walter, would you come? We take of this table to remind us. To remind us of what he has done that we might have the life that he has purchased for us. You may not believe it, but God really does have a plan for your life. God really does mean you good. God really does want to bless each and every one of us. The failures of life they're going to come, but use those failures as learning stones. None of us are perfect. As a child who learns to walk, they fall, but they get back up. Have enough courage to get back up and change direction and live the way God would have you to live. And remember, he paid the price for you to live such a life. He paid the price for each one of us.